gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Um, I apologize for it being such a long time since the last time. There are a number of reasons um, that this happened. Many of them were technical. Then we just kind of got to a place of habit, I suppose. And then, you know, like when we're doing game theory, that's just all encompassing. And I don't really find myself having the time necessarily to do that. Um, but, you know, might have a little more time on my hands these days pretty soon. <laughs> So, you know, we might jump on uh, here and there. I uh, figured that, um, you know, a whole lot of people got a whole lot of things to say that involve me right now. I figured I might as well just come here and talk to people. And I guess when I say I come here to talk to people, I should probably be specific. Um, this is where I come to talk to, like, the day one folk. You know, and I've said this many times about this particular vehicle, the Evening Jones, that like this is the thing above all things that is mine. And it has always been, I guess, a certain sort of intimacy of it between me and the audience, even though, you know, a significant portion of it is me chastising people for stupid questions that they were kind enough to ask because they care enough to come to this thing. You know, it happens. Like you go to a Don Rickles show, it calls you a hockey puck, right? That's what you pay for. Uh, my man Aiden talks about he got a cousin who loved Rudy Ray Moore, and he went to a Rudy Ray Moore show, and Rudy, Moore, Rudy Ray Moore called him a high yellow motherfucker and said that that was one of the highlights of his life. Like, I feel like when y'all be asking stupid questions in here, that's just what you're going for. I'm just trying to give you what you asked for, baby. But anyway, um, uh, this is where we go, or where I go at least, to talk to my day one folks. I see some people saying something about turning the microphone up. I'm going to try to do a little something in that regard. Perhaps that can help. Um, Forgive me on that. We ain't done this in a minute. But um, so I could understand why some of you may have seen a report. And because of the outlet that reported it, perhaps you might not think that those people were telling the truth when it comes to me. On occasion, they are erroneous. In this case, they are not. No, uh, game theory is not coming back. Um, the thing that makes this kind of interesting for me, just being, you know, me personally, is that I've known this for like two months. I have a, a fairly chucklesome story about the moment that I found out about it, but I don't know if it's necessarily appropriate to tell right now, even though I was obeying the law. Anyway, um, so it's kind of wild when, like, whatever, like, ways personally that I was dealing with it, I already did. And then these months later, it like comes out like it's a big thing, right? Oh, you know, Game Theory's not coming back, but Money Show got canceled. And then that like turns into a level of online discussion that I wish I could say I completely ignored, but I'd probably say I consumed far more of than I should have. Um, and then people start writing about it. And there are like a couple levels that for like me personally come up in this. Um, one of them, and this is a point that I want to be very clear about and I think is very important. And I think that this applies also to, you know, my work situation at ESPN and it applies to what has happened at ESPN and I mean what I guess based on what I've read will continue to happen in terms of kind of people uh, being 
like salary cap casualties, basically. But you see the term I use, right? Salary cap casualty. And you know what that is? That is a casual term that we use at my job to talk about when people get fired. Every day at my job, we show up and we talk about who we think should get fired, who we think will get fired, and when they do get fired, we are very quick to step up and say that, hey, it's just business or whatever it is, right? And we put these real cold terms that kind of like lean in favor of the ruling class, basically. But that's what we do every time in sports when somebody winds up losing a job for whatever reason. That's what we do. And then when we lose our jobs, all of a sudden it's a goddamn American tragedy. Like we act like the, the, the GM plant in Flint just shut down when one of us loses a job, right? And so I have no inclination whatsoever in a time like this to ever really ask for sympathy, right? I generally and typically am not inclined to come into these situations um, and ask for understanding or anything like that. Like, these are the breaks of the game that, I have made the decision to play, right? And these are the things that happen. So sometimes you get a TV show and then you don't have the TV show anymore. For whatever reason, people who do and do not wish me well have a tendency to lock in on the don't have a TV show no more, right? Do you realize how, like, bananas it is that for two seasons I got to do a TV show on HBO the way that I wanted to do a TV show on HBO? Like, do you get that? Do you understand the rarefied air that that is in? Okay. So I want you to kind of like stop and take that point right there, right? Like put a pin in that point. And I said at the beginning of this, when I came on here, that I wanted to talk in this space because this is the space where the people that go all the way back with me, we can go back to, okay? And so I recognize that a lot of you, right, like, you come and check out my stuff. Some of y'all right now are probably just being nosy. Like, I don't think we ain't never had no 900 people show up to do one of these. I haven't done this in like two years. And all of a sudden, it's packed to the walls, right? So I recognize that some of y'all are being nosy. So I'm going to afford some of you nosy people the opportunity to hear me and the discussion I have with the people who go back with me. And when I say go back with me, you have to understand. And this is what I think some of you who don't know anything about me cannot understand. I've been doing like media stuff, I would say overall for 23 years. My relationship with ESPN, little stop and start situation there, but I basically worked for ESPN for 19 years in varying capacities. Like as a employee, employee is 10 years. And I noticed because I went down to the package room the other day in the building and I got my little 10-year Mickey Mouse plaque. Like, if I didn't have an earpiece in and stuff, I'd go get it and show it to you. Yeah, like, you know, I got that. All right. 
I've been doing this for a very long time. And in 2004, I started BomaniJones.com, and a lot of you started with me at that level. Like, we about 20 years deep in this. Like, people who've been reading my freelance stuff for the longest, you have to understand. We've been doing this for a really, really, really long time. And people who know me and people who go back with me and people who were listening to me and Shannon on Saturday morning in Raleigh and people who were listening when I was doing middays and people who were there for the short-lived but long-lived forever The Morning Jones when you watch that TV show, did I do it for you? Like, did you see what we really managed to do? And something I'll always remember is when we did a call with Rod um, to when we were interviewing writers. And he asked what the show would be. And so it's me, Rod. And a lot of people that honestly I didn't even really know that well at that point and didn't really know me and knew but so much about me. And so I looked at Rod to answer his question. And I was like, look, me and you going to be the only people who understand what I'm saying right now. I may have said that out loud. I'm not sure. But I looked at him and I said, we're going to put the Morning Jones on TV. And he was like, got it. He knew it right there. And... If there's anything I'll always remember about doing that show, it's me and Rod at the Schomburg, because me and my brother, when they were shooting the Duke Museum piece, me and my brother rode up uh, to go check it out, because I tried to stay away from those things. And I went, and I just looked at Rod, and he was standing there, and he either had his arms folded, or he had his hands on his hips, and I can't remember. And I, and I just remember watching him and looking at his face, just marveling at the idea that this was our job now, right? We built out a whole museum about Duke basketball terrorizing African America. Like we started with the idea and then boom, we put it out there and we were standing there and we were just looking at it. And it was so crazy, right? Like just to consider the very idea that the world is spun in so many different ways that the two of us were there doing this. And I'm looking up and I see James, whom I've known since he was 17 years old, met him when I was in graduate school, who I started calling my little brother immediately. It's like my little brother to this day. And me and him got to do a TV show with him being the chief of creative and me being out front. And we got to do that for two seasons. Right? We got a six-episode season. Then we got a ten-episode season. If you're talking about the end, I totally believe that you are missing the point. Like, I totally believe that you were missing for me what, like, this is about and where the space is that I am in in my career. All right? I told you, I've been doing this for a very, very, very long time, right? There are a lot of things that, honestly, I would say are inappropriate for me to say about what I have managed to do in the time that I've worked in this industry because it just doesn't sound good coming out of my mouth, regardless if it's true or not. I can't be sober. I can't say anything 
soberly enough, that sounds like you just rattling off your accomplishments, right? So that I would prefer um, not to do. But after all the things, if you look at like stuff that I've done, like you just write all those things down. Okay. In the last, like, honestly, a couple, three years or so, we got to like stuff you dream of level. Like, really, you stop and think about this for a second, okay? The world shut down, I believe, the last day that I rode the subway was March 13th of 2020. And we took it to the crib. Um, we had already gotten word that High Noon um, was being canceled. And so I'm there. I'm at the crib. And I think something that was really interesting about that time as I look back on it was a podcast is something that you, that they quickly figured out that you could do from the crib. Right. Like they had to figure this whole TV thing out a bunch of ways, but podcast, they're like, Oh, you can get that right. So the podcast never stopped. See the podcast never stopped. It meant that I didn't really have the luxury of stop. And I just really wasn't doing television anymore. And so I had at least something to keep going on. And it wasn't long before I realized we was going to be holed up for a minute. And I made the call right then and there that in this time, your options are going to be to get better or get worse. Like, that's it. And the get better part, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, is going to require that you grind on what it is. And I made the decision that get better was going to be my move, right? Like, I started working on my physical fitness, for example. I started doing yoga. And I got on the work, and I was just really kind of like around ESPN, just like, what can I do? Because I needed to do things, right? I needed, you know, part of it, I think, was just kind of survivalist, right? Like, you kind of, I needed to demonstrate value um, to the company, you know? When times was about to get tight, I needed to make sure everybody understood I had something to bring, even if I wasn't co-hosting the television show. But I also needed to go, and I think about it, man, you know? Like, we did a YouTube series that summer about the teams that lost to Michael Jordan. I thought that was really good. I really enjoyed it. I thought the guys that worked on it did a really, really, really um, good job. Uh, I wrote a feature for Vanity Fair that, like, mattered a lot. I reported on the United movements of college football players um, in the summer of 2020 and i know that feels almost like forever ago but that was like a really big thing and i was able to get in and talk to the people that were involved because they trusted me based on the reputation that i developed um in my work i did an interview with adam silver um for gq and the right time largely thanks to the hard and tireless work of the great gay bassane we really locked in on what we were doing and Literally, the whole podcast industry was down, and our numbers were skyrocketing because we just put in the grind to figure out how to do it. And so after a year of being locked down, I get this call about doing the show that was ultimately Game Theory. And the thing about Game Theory for me that was different than anything else that I think I had done is – 
it was the first thing in this industry that I wasn't sure that I could do. Right? Like I've done things that have been successful in varying, you know, to varying degrees, some more than others. But even the ones that didn't really work, I thought I could do it, or at least I knew I could do it. I mean, I knew I could do it more accurately. I ain't know that I could do this. And I realized that a big part of me doing this was going to, like, I was going to have to roll the dice on, I wouldn't say embarrassing myself, but I would be more subject to what I would term legitimate criticism than I ever had been um, by taking on this project because I was doing something completely different than the things that I had done um, before. I was doing something that I literally had dreamed of doing. And we did it. And see, all I can tell you about is how good the show itself was and how the show got better. And I can look at like episode one of the first season and compare it to episode 10 of the last season. And man, the show just got a whole lot better. Like I worked with a lot of really good people who worked really, really hard and people who worked really, really hard to help me, who was a, a person who was a relative novice at doing the kind of work that we were doing. And we worked really hard and we got in there and we did like we did a show that I think is really good and we did a show that I am personally prouder of than anything that I have ever done professionally you know and you can talk to anybody who's ever talked to me about this and you can read any interview that I've ever done and the thing that I've said about this from the very beginning is everything that I get everything like opportunity wise to do that show is the win the day they say to stop is not a loss right because we wouldn't owed none of that this is an incredibly competitive landscape and everybody's got some idea about what they think is a better move especially if they think they can do it for less money right and i'm just speaking generally I'm not saying, saying anything specific about hbo there i'm just speaking generally but you do that and you know this is how it goes Getting a show on HBO, like not just something on Max, right? Getting something on HBO is really, really, really difficult to do. It's like a really, really rare opportunity. And I'm so glad that I got a chance to do it because it's the thing that I dreamed of. It really is. And I got to do it. I not only got to do it with my people, I got to do it for my people. And we can look and see places where, like, the work we did had had impact. Like, we did the thing on NIL, and I wrote a column in the New York Times. Like I said, I got to write a column in the New York Times, right? I wrote a column in the New York Times that accompanied that. That, By the way, they did a pro-con on that. I think the president of Notre Dame wrote that. They ain't telling me they was going to do that shit, by the way. Anyway, um, a congresswoman entered that column into the congressional record. And then called the show wanting to be a guest to come talk about it. We just weren't able to because we were at the end of the season by the time that it come around. You know, like, that's dope. It really, really is. And I'm at the point of my life slash career, like all those things, however you want to put it, man, where I just wanted to do something that was dope. And I did. And I'm glad that I did. And so there's not really much need to like make these larger grander hypotheses about what happened right like i mean i've seen people that i'm friendly with 
who've had things to write about this. I've seen people that I'm not friendly with who have things to write about this. And I have to say, honestly, I probably had a larger level of empathy um, for the athletes that we cover in these last couple of days than I ever have because it has been amazing to see just like with all due respect y'all have no idea what the fuck you are talking about when it comes to the way that this business works you just don't know <laughs> like I just read so many things and saw so many arguments that people had about what this is and what that is and why why this show got canceled or why something else didn't work or da 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 or whatever it is and I'm not comfortable talking too much about the particulars of it because I don't want to speak out of school. But I'm just telling you, most of you really don't have any idea what it is that you are talking about. One thing I would tell you to think about, though, however, and this is obviously broader than me, but, you know, matters to a degree. Hey, man, they out here making cuts. Now, what they choose to cut, when I say they, I don't mean they as Warner Brothers Discovery. I don't mean they as Disney. I mean the big old they. All right? They are making cuts. All right? And there are going to be lots of casualties from the cuts that are being made. Sometimes it'll be tied to the quality of the work that's done. Sometimes it won't. You won't ever really have a great idea if that's the case but cuts are coming man it's a tough time in this game for a whole lot of people right and for one reason or another our show wound up in that place but i will tell you this and you can go back and i did a zillion interviews for this show so you can go back and read all the interviews i did for this show but one thing I always talked about was this was going to be a bit of a difficult sell because we were going for a niche of a niche. And that wasn't really easy for us to do. But I think that for a show that went for a niche of a niche, I think we did a good job on it, right? But see, here's the thing. It don't matter, in a sense, what I think of it. It don't matter, in a sense, what you think of it. In a sense, it almost doesn't even matter what the masses think about it. The decisions that people make in content, it's not the straight linear relationship to the viewership and success that people think it is, right? It's not nearly as binary as people want to believe. It's like if you get to some number, you're safe. If you don't get to that number, you're not. It doesn't, doesn't really, really, really work that way, right? Like, there are decisions that are being made about me based on things that have big audiences. There are decisions being made about me based on things that have not as big audiences. Sometimes the ultimate decision that's made on those things is exactly the same. Right? It's just not as simple as I think a lot of people want it to be. And so I ask people one thing that I will tell you now that I don't think you should ever do. And you can check my track record and you won't find much evidence of me doing this if you find any at all. The audience is never wrong, right? If a person likes something, they like it. If they don't like it, they don't. They're not wrong in whatever direction that they go in, okay? So if you operate from the hypothesis that 
game theory is no longer on the air because people say they want smart want smart content but then they get smart content and they don't watch it well some of those people might have tuned into that smart content but did not enjoy the time they had and then they left that's okay that doesn't like they don't one thing i ain't ever trying to do is give you homework right like y'all like like people want to get off of work sit down on the couch break out a pen and paper and take notes no, they don't want to do that. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not what it is. Like, there's, there's no need to try to take this opportunity as some macro-level discussion about sports consumption. Sports is a niche, and we were going for a niche. And so there's but so many people that are going to go for that niche, no matter who's hosting the show, no matter what it is, all of that stuff, right? That's how that goes. Again, you can check anything I've said about this show over the last two years, and you will find that these are all the things that I have always said. We were trying some real, like, black diamond slope stuff out there, and there was a chance that it wasn't going to go on forever. You know? But it, there's not necessarily a think piece there. You know? Like, what you don't quite realize, or I think most people don't realize, and I guess this is me guessing, but I don't think I'm off here. There's probably a whole bunch of other shows that HBO didn't renew. And then one day, you're going to look up and be like, damn, this show hasn't come on. And somebody's going to be like, oh, wow. Did it get renewed? The difference is, on those shows, the people who do those shows, in all likelihood, do not have a cottage industry that actively roots for them to fail and looks for reasons to make the point that those people are failures, right? I don't want to throw a hypothetical name in there because I really don't know anything, but it could be very easily aggregated as being something else I'm saying, right? But like, the only reason you know about this is because it's somebody that for whatever reason thinks that the world enjoys hearing about not good things happening to me. It is the wildest phenomenon that I can think of because I swear you will never prove to me that anybody cares that much about us generally or about me specifically. Like, you'll never be able to convince me that anybody cares that much about like what I do. I think there are people who care about what I have to say. I think there are people who care about my content, right? I think there are people who follow and keep up with that. And I think that there is a loyal, dedicated segment of people who really want to know like what's going on with me. But ain't nobody walking around with no Google alert about me. Ain't nobody making no money writing about me and my contracts and the deals that I get. This is just not... This is never a world in which you're going to be able to convince me that anybody actually cares that much about me. But if they did care that much about me, you would have to acknowledge that I must be really, really good at my job. Like, if I can stoke up that much affection and loyalty and dedication to following, baby, I must be that dude. But I'm the one saying that I'm not that dude. Apparently, somebody somewhere 
must believe that I am. Isn't it crazy? It's the wildest thing. So, yeah. I'm happy about game theory. I We actually had a discussion, uh, me and my guys, that we worked on the show when we found out it wasn't going to get renewed about like whether to say something about it. And my inclination was to get out in front of it and just be like, yo, put it out there. Because the one thing I didn't ever want anybody to ever think was that I was ashamed. Because I'm not. And I've honestly never been ashamed of anything that I've done. I've not been ashamed of any of the outcomes um, of any of the projects that I've worked on, whether good or bad. I've never been ashamed. And I never, ever wanted to give the appearance that I was ashamed. But this world is different, right? Um, and these things happen, and you don't go out of your way to tell people it happened. You just look up, and you be like, oh, shit, it ain't there no more. Like, that's how it goes. And so we let it ride. And I admit that it was the right decision, but for me, it did wind up being, like, a bit of a taxing decision because I then kind of had to, like, relive this, except where before I was talking about it with like people I care about. Now it's just in the world of strangers. And I had every opportunity to ignore everything that strangers were saying, but I did not, you know, that's on me. Um, it wasn't a very wise way to play that. But, um, like I did not like, I admit, like having to go through it and see the various agenda at play. And the way I put it is, it's like, it's my, it's like, it's my funeral. And it's a bunch of people dancing on my grave and a bunch of people throwing flowers, but I ain't dead. You know? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not dead at all. It's not really how it works. Um, and so, and also for me, just the idea of not ever wanting it to appear that there was shame. A big part of why I didn't want to appear there was shame is because I felt like it was important and now I have the opportunity since like the word got out in the fashion that it did is like a, a positive consequence of that, I suppose, um, is I get the opportunity to say thank you. Of course, to everybody, right? Anybody who watched this, man, we had people take road trips to come check out this show, everything else, anybody that, you know, all you, all you, I say, thank you, but there are, or there is a core of us that is in this room that go back farther than everybody else goes back. And it's to those people that I say thank you because they are the people who made it clear to me very early on that what I had the ability to do in this industry is to build a community and that I could be kind of the centerpiece of a very interesting group of people who would then also become people who would become intertwined with each other and who would enjoy each other and like discovering those communities, right? First with sports Saturday, then with the three hour lunch break and then with the morning Jones and like realizing I could do that is a big thing that gave me the confidence to know that we could do this on a bigger scale. And like, for me, that was very, very, very important. Like that. I, I knew, I knew that there was something here. And it's because of those people that I knew that there was something here. And that's what gave me the fuel to do all the stuff that I did after that, right? Everything that came from it and why I never felt the need to try to, like, adjust the content or whatever based upon the fact, like, oh, we're on ESPN now, oh, we're on HBO now, no, whatever. No, I had something that worked for the people that I wanted it to work for. And then I thought it was something that worked well enough that some of the interlopers could come in and get a little taste of it too and get an appreciation for it and 
I think we have demonstrated that over the course of more than a decade. And it is you all who in many ways have like changed my life in the direction and where it was going, man. Because I feel like I'm doing the same things that we were doing in 07 and 08, just with more tools. You know? Um, and so, honestly, I just kind of wanted to do this Evening Jones for me as much as anything else because there's not, there's not like very many. I am in a position now where I have to let people say crazy things about me. I have to let people direct crazy statements to me. Like I have to. Like I read something once in an outlet that I just knew was patently false. And I wasn't going to actually do it, but I was like, what would happen if I sue these people? And in the reading of the law, basically the interpretation that I had and why it wouldn't be worth it to pursue anything is that they would make the argument that I am so much bigger than those people that what they say about me cannot have a demonstrably negative effect on me or my earnings or anything else. So you just kind of got to let them say it. Like, that's really it. And, I mean, I feel like most of you know me well enough to know it. That's not really my inclination. But I've reached a point where it's the, you know, if you shoot me, you famous. If I shoot you, I'm brainless sort of situation, right? Like, that's where it got. And I do, I think, a pretty good job of just kind of dealing with stuff that people say about me. But I'd be lying if I said that that doesn't get old. You know, like I would be lying if I said that it's it's just wild because I just can't imagine being in a place where something that you can just not watch or not listen to or whatever it is. The very existence of it could bother you so much like that's that's I mean, it's just a whole different ball game to me. I, it's it's a lot that I admit that I readily don't understand. And it doesn't like hurt my feelings, but it is weird. Right. It's just strange. And like being the person that's at the like center of the strangeness, you know, it's a little odd. It's a little different. Um, but I am glad that I had that show, you know. And don't ever think for a second that that's that I look at it any other way. I'm glad to have that show. Um and just to let you know, I'll be podcasting again at some point. You know how I do it. Circumstances are slightly different this go around, though not entirely. But I'll be back at some point. Don't worry about it. Anyway, I guess I should take some questions. Did you have fun doing the person on the street interviews for the show? So, yes and no. I did enjoy them in theory. I did enjoy them in principle here's the problem since it was a late night show we had to shoot them things at night in the winter it was cold 
And if we were out there, it was guaranteed to be cold. Like, you could just write that down. It was guaranteed to be cold when we was out there. And the first night we did, it was probably the coldest I've ever been in New York City when we did the test shoot. And I was just hoping it would be terrible so we have to go back out there. Man, everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. Everybody, oh, man, my favorite part is the stuff on the street. And I'm just like, why don't y'all say y'all favorite part is the stuff that I can do with as a heater? Hmm? Hmm? Why this got to be what you love? I work really hard on them essays. Why this got to be what you love? Man, it'd be so damn cold out there. But I did enjoy it. And honestly, I can make the argument that my greatest professional accomplishment is I got DJ Mike Hitman on HBO. We did that. And yes, it is the Michael Irvin quote. When we played out there in the cold, it was cold. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I guess I should probably pay more attention to the fact that y'all vote questions up. Because y'all be voting stuff up, and I just be running right past it. The Supreme Court has repealed affirmative action for college admissions. How do you feel about the future of minority talent in education and the workforce? So... I read something. I can't remember if I read the whole article. I may have just read the headline. I don't remember exactly where it was. But there's a very important point that was made, which was that while admissions for black folks had increased through affirmative action at some subset of these schools, graduation rates had not Right. We need to take a bit more stock and a bit more inventory of how exactly it went in the presence of affirmative action. This is not to say that I believe that like striking down affirmative action was a good thing. I do not. I'm not going Clarence Thomas on you. I am saying that all it was was a step, and I don't think we did a good enough job after that first step was completed of doing right by a lot of those kids for the next step who were very often thrown into some environments that were not healthy for them and not given the requisite tools to do what they needed to do to get out. And it's questions to be asked about how these policies were administered and whether or not the schools were doing the best job they could to find the appropriate students and all the things like that. Um, but the kind of disheartening thing about this racism is like, it's like we bugs bunny out here, right? Uh, like you, 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 you get that one, you, you get that one hole in the dam, and now you got to fix the other one, right? Like, right, you got to do all the things. We always trying to put a, put a, put a, put something in the hole, and the whole reason we always try to put something in the hole is they trying to put water through it, all the time, all the time. Like the one thing I did think about with the Harvard suit and the Harvard suit. I mean, let us be honest here. The idea that likability was ever a criterion for admission to college was crazy. I see why them people sued about that one. But when you think about what it is that we're talking about is we're looking for a legal mandate to provide access to exclusive institutions that are exclusive because they want to be exclusive. They don't want none of us there. But we got to be there. But they don't want 
none of us there. They come up with all kinds of different reasons. And by the way, the us is not simply non-white people. You got to remember, when it was nothing but white people, they were still trying to keep us out. Come over here and join this us I'm talking about, white folks. It might be you too. You know what I'm saying? They ain't, that's not what they want to do. And in the face of a situation where it's not what those folks want to do, they always going to try to find one way or another around it once they can. And so if it wasn't this fight, it was always going to be another fight. There will always be a fight. And that's the thing that people are going to have to understand and get. The fight will never stop. It won't. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Somebody asks, is it possible that we get the Bo and Spencer Music Podcast now? It is possible. Yes. Can you tell us a good slash funny Sidney Castillo story? I can tell you one very funny Sidney Castillo story. Sidney Castillo is one of the writers of our show. Great writer, great comedian. Uh, check him out if he comes to your town. Sidney with a Y. He's really, really good. And he's from Texas. Sidney had this jacket. It was like, uh, like a knee length, you know, like cold weather jacket, you know. I don't, I don't know how you call it, but you know what I mean. Like, it's a jacket, right? It looked like it was, I want to call it a camel hair, I guess. But the reason I'm reluctant to call it camel hair is this thing was two-tone. Half of it was black. Half of it was camel. And what had happened somehow was he either looked at it online or saw it in the store or whatever, and he only saw the one half, and he thought the half looked dope. And so he bought it, and then he realized that it was actually two-tone now when he told me this story about the coat in season one i did not think the coat would make its return in season two but the coat did in fact make its return in season two and for the life of me to this day i can't figure out why he didn't just send the coat back instead every time city come around the corner in that two-tone jacket i have to laugh because why are you still wearing this two-tone jacket that you did not even intend to purchase i just don't understand i just don't and then i realized man i was working with comedians they operate in a different space man they operate in a different space Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Could you see yourself writing a book? Might be working on that. So everybody wants to know what's next. Can you give me a second, please? Appreciate you. So my man Dan said in here, Ted Sawyer would be proud. And so I want to tell you this story, and I think I'll probably wrap up after this ted sawyer worked at uh a50 the buzz and 620 the bull um when i was there from 2008 to 2009 and ted who i think we lost ted about 10 years ago ted passed away ted was an older black man who had this like fascinating life story like he served in the military but he also served as a spy like he was in japan and his cover I can't remember if his cover was that he was a boxer or that he was a wrestler. But, you know, 
was a very, very gentle and kind man with this very deep voice. And so he did all kinds of voiceovers um, for the station. I'll be honest with you, I don't have any idea what Ted actually did. But Ted would be at that radio station every day. And you know how old folks do. Like Ted carried his briefcase every day. And he had to stroll to him. He had his glasses. And he always said hello to people. He was just always very, just a kind and loving soul, man. And I love that dude. And Ted was a man of a different generation. And Ted was very, very shy. Um, but he would always talk to me. But, see, the thing you have to understand is when me and Shannon got to the radio station, like, we was the black people. Like, you look around and you realize before we got there, Ted was the black people all by himself. And I like the people that I work with, but still, Ted was the black people, right? And that's back when I used to be cooking, like, you know, I didn't have nearly as much skill and technique as I have at doing this job, but I had a lot of fire. And, man, I would get out there cooking the white folks, boy. You know, sometimes it would happen. I wouldn't be coming up with reasons of making them up. But when it was their time to get it, baby, it was their time to get it, man. I'd be lighting them up, and I'd do it, man. And I'd say it, and I'd stand in that. And then people would call, and they would have them crazy things to say over the phone or whatever else, and I could just knock them all down, man. Right? Like, those of you who were there knew what it was, man. They was coming at me, and I was standing tall, and in the end, I won respect because they understood that, like, I was giving it to you as I had to give it. But anyway, something I'll always remember is that I would do that. And see, one thing I never, ever saw was, like, how the sales floor took it when I would say some of these things because I'd be in there in the booth. You know, I ain't got any idea how they feel it. It might have been some faces. People might have been cutting it off. Who knows what kind of arguing they was doing about that. Because wasn't nobody bringing no arguments to me. But anyway. Some of them days where I was really going. Ted would come around the corner. And you know, you do a radio show. You know, there'd be a window. There's a window in the door. Um, coming in the studio. And so I'd sit in there after I said what I had to say. Ted would come around the corner. He'd look, see if anybody was looking at him. And he'd look at me and he'd be like, Give you that thumbs up and that nod. Because Ted couldn't dream of a world where somebody like me could do the work that I've done and do the work that I do and actually get people to listen and like it. You couldn't believe it. Like, that show in Raleigh was a rating success, a huge rating success. It was, like, wild to consider. Because basically only me and Adam really thought it was possible because everybody else just didn't believe the white folks could ever, like, tolerate a black person doing these things. And at every turn, really since then, and I guess even then, there's always been somebody trying to convince the white folks for whatever reason that white people could never possibly get on board with what this is. It's too this, it's too that, it's too whatever it is, however it goes. But I was doing it. And I just will always remember the look that Ted would give me when he was just like, yeah, you did that. You did that. Ladies and gentlemen, we did that. We done that. And we did it and we done it for a really, 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 really long time. You know? So, yep. I just thought I'd come chat with y'all a little bit here and give you a little context 
um, without giving too much information or anything like that because it's just not appropriate I don't think for me to do you know to tell too much or to try to answer for decisions that other people made if they felt like answering for them they would do that it's not really probably the place for me to do that um, but that's it I just figured the people who go back with me deserve to hear it and we let the rest of y'all watch but <laughs> let you watch ladies and gentlemen uh thank you for listening to the, the thank you for i ain't done this in so long i forgot how i do this part all right ladies and gentlemen thanks so much for watching the evening jones my man lance gilliam handles everything behind the scenes thank you sir also thank you to oh my's design uh remember subscribe if you can't catch us live subscribe to the podcast uh catch us anywhere you get your podcast the Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.